This is the coolest show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know. Keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. Hey everyone, uh, this is Rev Yearwood, and I don't know where you're listening today, but I just want to start off this conversation by that. There's sometimes I am looking forward to a conversation, one, because of the guest, and I'm excited for today's guest, but also just because of all the things that are going on in the world right now. We, in the climate movement, need these conversations. We need community. We need family. And so, you know, I think it's this is why we have these conversations and why we are engaging. And so we need to sometimes look to each other. And so right now, I'm looking to my guest, Francisca Rocky. Francisca, how are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So good to see you. So for folks who don't know you, who is Francisca Rocky? And who is your community? Francisca Rocky is a geographer. Um, I refrain from using from defining what type of geographer I am. Um, typically, geographers like to put themselves either in human geography and physical geography. And for myself personally, I don't think that you can separate the two because they're linked. So you need to understand humans to understand the physical features of the earth and how we interact with them. And the social side of science, of geography, is equally as important um, as the physical stuff, the, the hard science, some people would say. Um, in my capacity as a campaigner, I'm usually focused on social issues, um, particularly those pertaining to refugees, immigration, um, various social issues. And then in my capacity as a writer, it's using something that I enjoy. I enjoy writing. Um, I enjoy being the, given the freedom to be creative with words. Um, and I've been doing it since, well, in my head, I can remember when I was like seven <laughs> and I used to write books. So I get paper, fold it and then write like storybooks. They were bad, but it, that's what made me creative. That's what got me writing. That's what started the journey that I'm on now. And it's only growing as I meet more people and... I learn how to be a better writer and a better researcher and interviewer, all those sorts of things. And then in my capacity as a community organiser, um, I'm the founder of Black Geographers, um, which is a community interest company based in London in the UK. And we're supporting the next generation of Black geographers and geoscientists. Um, and also tackling the inequalities that exist within geography. Obviously, geography is nat not naturally. Geography was engineered to be colonial. Um, and we exist in that space where it is colonial. So there is violence in that space. There is a tone that you shouldn't be there because things have always been this way and it's been okay. And now we're like, actually, 
your past exhibitions, not going to name names, um, <laughs> are not okay. And the way you did things in the past were never okay. Ask anybody else but yourselves, they were never okay. So I guess we exist to also disrupt and get people thinking about how we can practice better geographies. And a term that's being used a lot at the moment is decolonizing geographies, decolonizing the curriculum and whatnot. The more and more I think about it, I don't think we can decolonize it, something that is colonial. Um, it's like saying decolonize a bank. <laughs> um, but something does have to change, whether that's it, the discipline not existing um, and us accepting that it there is no way that it can change or it adapting and creating something entirely different that doesn't rely on colonial past presence and I have no doubt futures um Man, you know, well, we got to start with that right there, Francisca. What is the organization Black Geographers and why why is this needed and why is it important? So Black Geographers formed as a collective of <clears throat> Black geography students and graduates who had first-hand experience of the many barriers that prevent Black students from studying geography and how isolating it can be as a field. Um, so through collaborative work, we aimed not only to encourage more black students to study geography at different levels of education, but also to begin transforming the discipline to make it more engaging and inclusive at every level. Um, and we do this through providing resources, mentoring, networking, internship opportunities to students and academics that we work with. Um, and we also work with educational institutions, geography organisations um, to improve representation, accountability and access across schools and universities. If, if this episode is called Geography is Colonial, would that be a right uh, title? Yeah, I'd be cool with that. And why would you be cool with that? Like, why would that be, why would that be important for people to see that? I think... As geographers, as a community of geographers, I had a really interesting conversation with a black PhD student in chemistry about geography just yesterday. And she asked me, why geography? Because geography is colonial, it's always been colonial with exhibitions and whatnot. And I said, when I first started in geography, for me, it was just, oh, I love the environment. I love learning about people and I love knowing how the world has been like, how we can make change and that change can happen, right? But the more and more I sat with it and we continued our conversation, I started thinking, hmm, is anything changing? Can it be changed? And is this so ingrained in the discipline that we'd have to just dismantle the discipline? It can't exist in order for us to move on. Geography is colonial. It always has been. It currently is. Um, we have people who are experts on our people who don't even look like us. And they're telling me things that I know about a place that I'm from 
or cultures from their perspective of what they've read and not on what the experience of the people from those places are or with an understanding of the language from not someone who studied it, but someone who speaks it or has been taught like me by my Google, which is what you call a grandma in Shona, which is a um, language spoken in Southern Africa. So, Francisca, I have to ask you this question. What is the role of geography in politics and how does that relate to environmental issues? Um, I think geography relates to politics when we think about unevenness in spatiality and the outcomes that come from that unevenness. Um, So whether that's from political processes um, or spatial structures, um, going back to infrastructure, urban planning, for example, air pollution and how big corporations decide to have their businesses in areas that are heavily populated by marginalised people. Um, And those marginalised people's health starts deteriorating while privileged people who live miles away from these big corporations and their factories, um, whatever they're pumping into the local water sources, etc. Those privileged people get that good access to green spaces, clean air, Mm. I think that's when we see the interaction between geography and politics because it doesn't have to be that way. It's been decided that it's that way because there are people who in society that certain people in society deem as being less than and therefore not worthy of good politics or access, just basic access, which everyone should be entitled to. Um, but that goes deeper within um, with systems and structures so while we can all do our bit in terms of campaigning or advocating or trying to get black people for example more into green spaces being able to visit a green space is great um and having that opportunity to have access to good air right but that needs to be something that you'll have access to all the time otherwise you're just going back to an area where your health is deteriorating on the i don't know other six days of the week that you don't have access to that green space, that you don't have access to that clean air, that you don't have access to good quality water. You know, Francis, let me ask you this question in regards to if, if we, obviously over time you've come across some things that are just startling. Like you've seen it and be like, man, I can't believe they did that. Like, I'm sure there's certain things. What's one thing our audience listening right now would be like, they'd be kind of like stunned to know just how much people have used geography to just be evil in some cases. Like just to be just downright, just vicious, evil, just vile. What's what this one off the top? What's one type of thing that comes to your mind? The first thing that comes to my head is Ella. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have heard about her in the States, but um, a few years ago, Ella, um, who was a young girl, less than 10 years old, died because of air pollution in South London. So Ella and her family used to live around a South Circular Road in Lewisham, which is South London. And they had regular exposure to high levels of um, emissions and it had an impact on Ella, 
she's young, you know, she's growing. And as a result, she developed asthma and died. So she's the first person in the UK to have air pollution on her death certificate. And Ella was also a black girl, young black girl, you know, in primary school. I think that's kindergarten for you guys. Um, And that's a massive wake up call, not just for us as a community, but for people to see what injustices exist within one of the richest cities in the world. Um, And someone who didn't need to die. Not saying that anybody needs to die, but that was preventable. That didn't need to happen. As you're telling that story, I have to just share. There's a um, one of the the saddest encounters I've ever had was in regards to a very similar situation here in the states, in which I don't, I don't know if you know this fact, but 68 percent of black people live within 30 miles of a coal fired power plant, and um, it's an area that's over here in, in near Washington D.C. It's called Southeast. Washington, D.C., and there's the, the same mm-hmm. situation. The, the pollution there is just off the charts. Um, and I never will forget that a, a very similar young girl died because of an asthma attack. And the entire time during the funeral, um, because her mother had to make a decision about literally, do I, you know, do I pay for an inhaler or do I get food for the family? Um, so she feels guilty. And the entire time during this funeral, this mother's trying to climb into the casket. Like literally, the little girl's arm is, is being knocked around and her arm is flying out of the casket, her body, because her mom wants to get in. And her sister, the woman's sister, would take her to the back of the hall. And then she would get loose and get a full speed because she was so overcome with grief. And so as you're talking about that, I miss that 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 image comes to me um, of that mother trying to climb into the castle, that black mother climbing into the castle, her daughter. And so hearing about Ella and that situation um, is is I had heard about that obviously, but that is that is something that is such an important story to tell, and it is so grieving to how. Um, literally becomes genocide, right? And this was how geography is connected. Um, what, are, what are some of the specific challenges um, that the Black geographies community is facing? Would you say as an organization or me as an individual or as the community? Well, that'd be both. Uh, yeah, both of those. I mean, for you, uh, as for you and your role, and then for, and as and also as an organization. Um, I guess for me as an individual, it would be both. I think green space is one of those things that is very high on my. For me personally, just even just for friends, um, them having equal access to green spaces. Because until I started taking friends who hadn't been exposed to the outdoors um, or green initiatives and all those sorts of things in their local community, access to nutritious food, um, I sort of realised the impact it had on my close friends and family in terms of their mental health and well-being. 
and how something that seems relatively small, you know, being able to go outside and there being a green space that you can decompress at the end of a work day or a school day or just a tough day. Um, and I'm not sure what it's like in the States, but in the UK, therapy is expensive. Um, but the outdoors can provide well, that. Well, therapy costs over here too. <laughs> yeah, <know? laughs> yeah it's, it's very expensive here. So something like green space can provide a space for you to have that healing, to have that space to think, to have that space to just be alive and think um, away from the noise if you live in like a busy um, city or in a busy town um, and really just be still, um, which I don't think, for me personally living in a city, you don't always get because it's so busy and it's so normalised that it's okay for it to be busy and for you not to have time for yourself and for your mental health and well-being. So, yeah, for me as an individual, it's advocating for equal access to green spaces and also food security for our community as well. So the lack of access that particularly low-income folk have to nutritious foods, cultural foods, um, as a result of food deserts, um, and for anyone who's listening who might not know what a food desert is, um, it's essentially an area that has limited access to affordable and nutritious food um, in comparison to areas that have good access to supermarkets and vegetable shops and fresh food. Um, and these things can have an impact on your nutrition. So some people are malnourished as a result of food deserts. Um, your ability to participate within society and just have general good health to be able to interact with people day to day, not even thinking about them as workers, but them as people and the things that food deserts prevent people from doing, just functioning day to day. Um, and then I'd say as a community, well, as Black Drawfers slash as a community, what resources... Um, I mean, yeah, what resource and environment we focus on. Hmm. I'd probably say justice. And that covers many different things. It can cover the things that I personally look for, do as an individual, but also the things that we can do as a community or that we are doing as a community that is being done and that needs to be done for us to get the futures that we deserve and the lives that I put. I envision, and I'm sure you do, and everybody else within the community envisions for ourselves in the future, in the near future. I hope. You know, as you were talking, Francisco, I was thinking about we, we, we too, we have what um, are termed as food um, deserts. Um, some would say that they that that they would even go further in that term because uh, you know deserts are natural. And so because in that aspect, so they would say either food insecurity or food apartheid. Um, um, and so uh, one of the things that I like we've been, we, we, yeah, and I people like, have been like using that, that term. term, yeah, people have been using that term because obviously we know that again, deserts they would say deserts are natural, and so we that is that's a, mm -hmm. what what is happening is, is not natural, it is intentional. Um, it is, and then mm -hmm. even when you have, we're even seeing now when we have grocery stores, we saw that in Atlanta. We're seeing it in Detroit. Even when you have the grocery stores, 
the food chain is there. We have people who are now whistleblowing and saying how they are literally delaying the food to certain parts of the country, to, to certain cities. In other words, they will send the food to, even they, when they have quote unquote grocery stores in those communities, they are delaying mm-hmm. certain food items going to those stores before sending to other stores. Um, you know, now this, this is I've slight, also seen on the news of, that they're, um, what are they doing? Putting boxes and padlocks on certain mm-hmm. food and restricting access to items, which is just ridiculous to me because personally, if I was a worker and someone took something that they needed, I'm turning a blind eye. I didn't see that. <laughs> That's none of my business because people wouldn't do that if they weren't desperate, if you didn't put them in a position where they had to do that. Well, we have to have a, a conversation about that. That's why I'm thinking so important to you with the role of black geographers are and others, because we have to have a role of our liberation. If we, 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 we are beginning to see what to do when they are killing us. For instance, when we see a situation like Eric Garner or, or George Floyd, we, we know to speak up, mm-hmm. we know to, to yell. But when they're killing us, literally when they're in a chokehold. But what, what happens when they're doing that same chokehold in a different manner? Are we still speaking up? Are, when, when they're literally creating a situation when our, when our children are not getting the resources and, and the food, and, you know, are, are we doing, are we, are we just, you know, doing what we got to do? And, and so I think you're right. We need to make some, we need to make some decisions in this moment. You know, I, where, where are the best places actually for black geographers to, to, to go to get the tools you need to do the work mm-hmm. um, embedded in, in, in community? Oh, um, the first thing that comes to my head is to engage with the black geographers who came before us and many of whom are still here. Um, and don't get the recognition for the work um, that they deserve. So within the UK, for example, we have the likes of Professor Pat Noxolo, um, who focuses a lot on the Caribbean and securities slash insecurities. And her work is very much grounded in community. Um, An amazing academic to check out. Um, Dr. James Essen talks a lot about migration, refugees and the social and political climate of that amongst black men and boys um, who come to countries in the global north, predominantly mainland Europe. So Germany, I think, um, but mainland Europe's countries um, for football and why they do that, what experiences they have. Um, just a trigger warning for anyone who goes to access his work. Some of it is very sensitive and can be upsetting, um, but it's very insightful and there's a lot that we can learn from him and his research and the way he researches as well. Um, we've also got here Professor Patricia Daly, um, another black geographer as well, who does a lot of work surrounding the continent of Africa. Um, in various different degrees, but predominantly the human side and political side and our interactions from uh, as people in the diaspora who aren't there, um, but also people living on the continent. Just That's just to name a few um, who all of their work is embedded in community and 
oral histories and ensuring that we connect with our community even if we do become academics and that our work is grounded in them and their experiences and even if we are black people we like me as for example I don't have all the experiences of what it means to be black or to experience discrimination or to experience um poor access to something like yes I have experienced it but there are other people who live even closer to those experiences than me and they have better insight they have the tools and that's where we go when we want to create change to the people on the ground and have been doing that work something I see a lot in the UK specifically obviously there's the people that I can see um is often people want to start something completely new and don't want to look at the work or don't bother to look at the work that other people have done before or want to act in collaboration with work that's been done before work that's happening um and I guess the politics here encourages that for you to work as an individual because you want to be recognized as the person who's done xyz but the best work the work from the three people I've just mentioned shows well teaches me and shows us that we can make so much more progress if we work together and don't create a hierarchy of this is you know the best way to do it or um starting from scratch going where the resources and knowledge is already full and working with people giving them the space to explore things based on their experiences their methods their histories their tools Hmm. you know thank you no go ahead please I just wanted to follow up with an example of this um, using Pat Not Solo. She has an amazing project that's called Phoebe Road, um, and it's about freeing up futures for Black British geographers. So she gives Black geographers from various levels, so from like the age of 18, I'd say, to onward from that, um, an opportunity for them to explore Black geographies within their geographical interests and shaping them um and passing on her wisdom definitely check that out um at the moment they're doing courses for people who want to start using oral histories as a research method and how that's done in a way where it's ethical and you're not taking from the people whose histories you're listening to but working with them and building that community and learning how to do community engagement in a way where it's not extractive. Um, yeah, definitely check out that project. No, well, thank you for lifting them up. I mean, that actually means a lot to me to lift up those who have been in this in this struggle, in this movement, and have been just doing it for years and have been laying the groundwork for all of us to continue. I think that's just an important piece. I, I also just want to ask this question that, that kind of comes from that. I mean, we understand the importance of the academy. We, we get that. So I don't want to go on that rabbit hole with, you know, the academy itself. But I do want to ask this question because we mm-hmm. understand white supremacy. Is it not that mm-hmm. you know what you know, not that you have mm-hmm. a good understanding of what you're dealing with, is the academy mm-hmm. friend or foe? Oh, 
I would say a foe, mm. but annoyingly, I wouldn't know what I know now had I not been in it. Because I would never have had access to the black academics that I know now. Um, my local library in the area that I live is gone. So I wouldn't have had access to their literature. I wouldn't even know who they were, I don't think. Because I'm trying to think how I would have ever come across them when they're not talked about within the British education system or you don't get access to them outside of academic spaces unless someone has introduced you to them. How are you to know that that work is happening unless you actively have the resources already to kind of be able to explore them further? I would say overall, a foe. <laughs> um, I don't think an institution like that can be a friend. Friends wouldn't harm our community or harm each other or try and destroy people who have so much to give to a point where they don't want to be in that space anymore and they don't want to continue their work even if it's necessary. Friends wouldn't do that. And if they were a friend, they'd be focused on care. They'd be focused on Indigenous geographies, Black geographies, all of these methods that are rooted in what research should have always been about working collectively, not being individuals, not doing it because you want to be awarded for X or having all of these, what I think in my opinion are silly requirements for people to have access to be able to do the work and be recognised for their contributions and for people outside of that space to be able to join. I think it's too exclusive, it, yeah, too exclusive for it to be considered a friend. Mm. I personally <laughs> would not befriend someone who had those qualities of what the academy is. Mm. What What's the role of culture in Black geographies? I would say culture grounds it. But Black, from my perspective anyway, I'm not a human geographer. Um, so if any human geographers are listening and I'm butchering this, I'm sorry. Um, but in my opinion, I'd say, I'd say black geographers, black geographies even is grounded in our culture. Like it, our culture allows it to, I guess it allows it to exist. It allows it to grow. It allows it to have many different facets and engage with different areas of what it means to be black and for there to be a black community so the black geographies of physical geographies for example and how we interact with indigenous black people so for example in Zimbabwe there's a community that the name has just gone out of my head but I did some research on it in my undergrad and they do all of their conservation work based on one indigenous community and their interactions, whether present or past, with that area. And so for them, Black geographies is ingrained in Indigenous practices and 
the cultures that are formed as a result of that. And I guess that in, interacting with the black geographies that are modern, um, so like current black geographies, people who aren't indigenous but are still black within that area, and how those two things blend. Does that make sense? No, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. You mentioned Zimbabwe. Now, you have, you have, are your parents or you have family from Zimbabwe, correct? I do. Uh, so, this is, I'm not going to ask the political questions of Zimbabwe here, but I do have a question for you as a young person um, doing this work. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things our movement is kind of going through is that you, people like you, and many of the folks who actually like our amazing producers here, uh, Cross and Destiny and Tamar and others, they're they're, they're young people. <laughs> they're young. They're young folk. What, what we're what we're coming across is young people are doing this amazing work, and you just gave a shout out, which was very important to those who did this work before. But sometimes we have it isn't always so um, nice. It always is in a situation where the older generation is, is opening a way for the new generation. And we mentioned Zimbabwe. Mm. I was thinking of a situation because many folks who maybe do or don't know, um, Mugabe, who was there, was very much mm-hmm. praised for his work. And as time went on, it, it shifted. And a lot of young people were, weren't happy because he basically stayed, people would say, too long. And, 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 and we had that mm. in our movement where people, we have folks who've been around for a very long time and they're not, they're not creating space. Do you, are you, mm-hmm. do you find yourself supported by this movement? Do you find yourself supported by older uh, folks who are black geographers? Do you find yourself supporting the kind of movement or other movements overall as a young person? That is a very good question. Hmm. I think it depends on which space I'm in, whether or not I feel supported. So within the climate movement, I'd say interact the most with other young people. And within the UK, for example, the climate movement's very white, um, very middle, upper class and white. So I don't tend to interact with them as much because well, we never really would cross paths. A lot of them are of the older generation within the climate movement in the UK as well. Um, so I do tend to find myself with other folks who are Black, Asian, other racialized communities who just also happen to be younger. Um, we do have older folks as well, again, who are Black, Asian and other racialized communities. I engage with them. Um, but I would say there's sometimes a, well, not sometimes, there is a disconnect between those of us that are racialized and white folk who are older or even younger in the movement at times. Um, In the academy, I'd say the older generation are very supportive um, and are very open to supporting us as individuals and getting us into that space if that is what we want, if that's what we want to, you know, have write papers about our findings and our research and explore the things that we really want to explore without being confined to areas that they think black people should research. Um, 
and just giving us a space to be creative and imaginative and yeah, really explore all those things that you've wanted to, but you've just not had the love, the care and the resources to be able to do it. Yeah. I think that'd be my answer. Yeah. That's, that's a good answer. I just have a look this time where it goes so fast and there's so many more things to get into. And, 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 and so really, there's a couple more questions, really. There's one, as we get ready mm-hmm. for COP27 and uh, we're going mm-hmm. toward Egypt, mm-hmm. one of the main things there has been around the, the different campaigns for land back. Um, and so I just kind of want to get into that. So because of these different campaigns for land back that have been going on for some time, how do these demands connect to a conversation about sovereignty and who has the right to work, research, and steward land? This is such a good question because I'm always toying with the word rights and, yeah, word rights in relation to land because what I would say is personally that everybody has a right to land we all know that it's not equal. Some people have more access to it than others, whether that's access to housing, like land where they can be safe and have shelter, um, or what other ways? Hmm. Yeah, this is a really good question because my mind is thinking of so many different things um, to say. Hmm. Who has a right to the land? The fact, well, another thing that happens to my mind is Indigenous people. They obviously have the rights to their lands, their ancestral lands. But then for me, who's not an Indigenous person to the UK, for example, or an Indigenous person to the area that my family is from, do I have a right to that land? despite having lived there before or currently I live in the UK and have done for a while now. And I want to say that I have a right to the land, but then it's not my land. But then I wouldn't be here if people hadn't taken away what is my land and where my ancestors lived, or even my mum. My mum lived, I lived, my sisters lived. Yeah, I think that's, that's a difficult question. It's hmm. actually a difficult question. So well, this one ain't gonna get no easier. This, yeah. this last one here, <laughs> it, 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 it's actually not, actually it is gonna be kind of easy. So uh, this one, and then I'm gonna make sure the at the answer this question, I'm gonna make sure that we we tell us how we can get in contact with you, how we still support you. Um, this all those kind of mm-hmm. things, but this really is just the general question here for you. As you're doing this work. Um, mm. what's the vision of the future um, what's the what's the story that you're fighting for um, you know what does that look like and and I, 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 as you're discussing that because you're obviously in the academy you're talking about different research what does allyship look like for the credentialed folks in this, in your vision of the future? I'll start with what my vision of the future looks like. 
in my head, some people say that when I express how I imagine the future, that it sounds utopian. But I don't think it sounds utopian because what we're living in now, though it's not perfect for people who campaigned in the past, they imagine something, not all, everything that we're living in now, but some parts of it are good. Um, and then I think, okay, if this is what we're living in now, it's not great politics wise. It's not great access wise. Um, and what we're doing to the environment. And I try to think about the future and what I'd like. Words that come to my mind first is freedom and freedom in all different spaces. Um, freedom for movement, um, bringing back community um in the uk there's we've got a right-wing government and everyone is so focused on their own personal achievements and doing things themselves so once you've got access to something that's okay because you've gotten it and you're out of quote-unquote the hood right so that's fine you've made it you're fine you um can continue with your life and not forget but start to separate yourself from where you've come from and the people that are not there yet and I think living in the UK specifically when you're around that type of politics and around that culture you can internalize that and forget that you haven't been able to get those things through you being an individual it's through people having supported you whether that's in the home whether that's in the school from a teacher um whether that's from a past movement that you may know nothing about, but you didn't get to that place by yourself. It was because of community, whether that's a community that you see or a community that you don't see that's far away. Um, and then for allyship, hmm, what do I feel about allyship? Hmm. What do you feel about <laughs> um, allyship? Come on now. <laughs> you, you let, you're, you're the end now. You, you, you're let loose here now. <laughs> Go ahead, let loose. What do I think about allyship? Sometimes I think that allyship has a place, but then other times I see time, I see I'm in a space and something happens. And I think this was a time when an ally should have stood up for me. Or yeah, should have stood up for me and they did they don't. And it's the simplest way that they could have shown up and they don't. And then I think when the revolution happens, because it will happen, will those people shy away because they're used to the way things are and they, I don't know, don't want to overstep for whatever reason or they don't feel like it's their fight but something they can support from the sidelines when they should also be fighting or even at the front line of that fight. Um, yeah, allies is something that I've been thinking a lot about in the past few days because of incidents and just been disappointed by it, if I'm honest. Um, and been disappointed by people who claim to be allies or want to be allies, but spend a lot of their time draining me and others um, to a point where we can't do the work that needs to be done. And I sometimes think, is is that their role for them to 
they may not be the people that are causing the direct violence and direct oppression, but it might be the people that are facilitating that oppression and violence in a not a mute way, but in a mute in a muted way. Hmm. Allies. <laughs> I think allies could be a whole a whole discussion of itself. Um yeah. Mm. Well, in the states, we would call that a mic drop. What you just did there, Francis, because that's what you—that's what you watch. When you just, you just do the mic down and you just walk off, and you just—that's <laughs> it. That's that's what that is. My 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 my. Let, let me let me say this as, as we, you know, bring this bring this and conversation, but hopefully have future conversations. I want to say this, um, but you said that that's very important. Um, Many people in my community have been in fights they didn't know they would win or lose, but they got into those fights anyway, because they had to. It was a matter of life or death. Too many people have been fighting in fights that have been fixed from the beginning. Too many people have been in fights in which they knew the outcome would turn out in their favor. And so right now, for the first mm-hmm. time, many folks who have been saying they're allies are realizing that they are literally um, uh, not holding their weight up, so to speak, because they are now, for the first time, in fights that ain't fixed. Well, welcome to a real fight, mm-hmm. you know. And that's when that's, that's you, that we got folks who are now in a real fight where you don't know the outcome. And so, Francisca, I thank mm-hmm. you for your, what you're doing. And I just want to just applaud you and, and encourage you at Black Geographers. How can people follow and support you? Um, I'm Francisca Rocky everywhere. Um, Black Geographers, if you type it into any search engine or any social networking sites, it'll be there. Sometimes you might need to put Black Geographers CIC. Um, to find our exact work um, but hopefully in the description of this this podcast um, I'll give you some links and links to other people as well who are based um, within the UK or within Europe um, black folk who are doing the work um, that we don't often hear about don't feel as though UK black folk or European black folk living in Europe um don't tend to get heard about as much as black folk from other places that are a lot bigger than us because obviously we're a tiny island. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely connect you with those people and share their work with you because they're also amazing. My, 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 good. my goodness. Our guest today is Francisca Rocky, founder of Black Geographers. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Thank you, Francisca for an amazing conversation. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think100Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100% which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the peace. It's the coolest show you know.
It's the coolest show you know.